Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Did everybody get sermon notes who want them? Throw up a hand and we will run a a program out to you real quick if you do not. Did anybody not get the sermon notes that would like to have them? Pastor Dennis would like sermon notes. Somebody hurry up. Okay. So based on my own definition of a sermon, I'm gonna tell you guys right now, today's not a sermon. Who here, trivia time, we've got the time. What's a sermon? Dennis isn't allowed to answer. What's a sermon? Just as simple, don't overcomplicate it. Hmm? Message from God? Message from God, I like that. What else? Yeah. Just thought I was gonna, just thought I'd do trivia time with you guys. My preaching professor at Simpson... Thank you, pretty girl. He told a bunch of uh, 18 and 19-year-old punks, a sermon is telling God's people what God said. And we all thought, okay, that's cool, until he unpacked it, and then we soiled ourselves how terrifying that is. And he wanted us to be terrified. So I am not going to open the Bible today and tell you what God said. That's why I'm telling you it's not a sermon. I am going to encourage you to do what you already know the scripture tells you to do. So today is, uh, if you didn't wear your helmet, today is a rah-rah session where I grab out my pom-poms and say, go Christians, you can do it. Um, If you did bring your helmet, it's more like a, anyway, get up and go, you can do it. Um, So I I will try not to go angry coach on you because frankly, I'm, I'm tired, I feel sick, I don't have a lot of energy but I do have a burning desire to make sure that you don't waste another Christmas. And so I I preached something similar to this two years ago. Um, The title today is Christmas on Purpose. Yes, I just turned Christmas into a verb. Or Amazon did. I don't remember who did it first. Uh, I want foundation to Christmas really, really well this year because the object of a Christian Christmas is Jesus being lifted up that all men might see him and be drawn close. Um, allow me first to talk about the three R's of how Christians approach culture. This is not in your notes. Jot this in the margin somewhere. You need this, I promise. Not just for the sermon today or the talk today. You need this if you're a Christian 365 days a year. Write down these three words, reject, receive, redeem. Reject, receive, and redeem. At every point in Christian history, the people of God have had these three choices at our disposal when we see something in the culture. Is it pure evil? There's nothing you could possibly do with it. We reject it. Do we receive it as it is? We have no critique for it. It is amazing just the way it is. Or do we redeem it? Is there there's something broken in it, but God has an original design for it? Or we can get creative and make a God-honoring design for it. So um, allow me to draw starkest of examples. Who here has read the book of Genesis and thought, if this was a movie, it would be rated R? 
Okay, just the sexual sin alone is astounding. And you're teaching Sunday school to four-year-olds and you're going, I'm going to have to, yeesh, okay, all right. Um, from the moment humanity divorced God, We've been sinning in all kinds of ways. Sexually is one of them. When you look at the book of Leviticus, you realize God had already seen dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of ways humanity had taken a beautiful gift from God in a monogamous marriage, and we had drug it through the mud, okay? To look at that as the people of God, we've got three options. We could receive it as it is and say, hey, the world perverted sex. We're going to just go along with what they did. Nothing wrong here. If you're familiar with the New Testament, it's called a Sadducee. The Sadducee doesn't have the guts to stand up against the culture. He floats downstream. Rejection would be, we're Christians. We don't have sex. Which is a really, really bad idea. Not only for your joy, but then you might have the last generation of Christians, depending on what evangelism is looking like. Deuteronomy 6 and other texts are really, really clear that our children are our primary calling in discipleship if the Lord blesses the marriage with children. So that's a big deal. We would not reject sex altogether. We would have to say redeem is the only option. Redeem sounds like this. We're gonna do this God's way. That's what redeem sounds like. Okay, now people fight and they should because the data is not really great. People fight over the origins of exactly the Christmas celebrations that we do today, exactly where it all came from. And we all have uh, a truth before we analyze the data. We have something that we wish was true. Does this make sense? The evening news says something and two groups can hear two totally different things because we want something to be true and we look for data that will support our opinion. Okay, so I'm gonna say this with like three asterisks next to it because nobody really knows for sure. Um, but there is popular belief that Christians moved into what was at the time called Germania around the 10th or 11th century and saw Saturnalia, a leftover Roman holiday worshiping Saturn. I won't get into all the fun stuff that people were doing, but let's just say their Instagram feed wasn't good and Santa was not impressed when he found it. He sent them a pair of pants and a Bible for Christmas. It was, it was not healthy, good behavior. And Christians come in with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've got three options of what they're gonna do with Saturnalia. Do we reject it and ignore it? We're not gonna have anything to do with Saturnalia. Do we receive it? Do we start worshiping Saturn? Obviously Christians are not gonna do that. Or let's try to transform it into a Christian holiday. You guys have these green trees that you worship as a pagan symbol of God's always granting fertility. Let's put, take these little lights and put them on the tree and tell the story of the night that Jesus was born. Like they hijacked a holiday as far as we can tell. And I love it. We can, we can put lipstick on it and call it redemption. It's also called thievery. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So all the fights over Halloween, right? All Hallows Eve. And then we hijack it and make it a pagan holiday where we sacrifice cats. I don't know why the killing of cats is such a horrible thing. I'm a dog person, but apparently that's a really dark, evil thing to do. And then Christians what? Christians try to steal it back and say, oh, we'll give candy to your children. We're just gonna tell them about Jesus too, right? Redemption is about stealing uh, what hell took and saying we, we want it back. 
We want it back. And so uh, the, the discussion over Christmas today uh, is, at least if you grew up in church, if you've been around church the last 40 years, it is marked by uh, clear angst. When a bu- and maybe you have this bumper sticker, you know, put Christ back in Christmas, okay? Um, a celebration is a reflection of the people, so unless you're praying that people would get saved, I'm not sure the bumper sticker, like you skipped a step. You skipped a step. You have to put Christ into people. And that happens through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanna quickly describe for you what a lousy, accidental Christmas could look like if we are not careful. We are about to start. Well, let's just ask. Just admit it. How many of you are already playing Christmas music, listening to Christmas music? Who has lights on their house already? No, that's where you draw the line. <laughs> How many of you on Thanksgiving Day, you're allowed to start decorating for Christmas in your household? A few folks. How many of you, it's got to be at least until Friday before you're allowed to decorate? A few of you don't decorate at all. How many of you, for some reason, it's after Friday because you're a Grinch? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Some of us are just chomping at the bit, like, when am I allowed to? When is this? An accidental Christmas. You're not planning, you're not preparing your heart, you're not preparing your mind, you're not preparing your checkbook or your schedule. You let others tell you what is true. You only sing meaningless songs. You tell no one about Jesus. You spend money on things that have no eternal significance. You decorate the way that Babylon does. You stay isolated, individualistic, and self-focused. Does that sound fun? Everybody inspired? Does that sound like the best Christmas ever? Okay, well then let me encourage you toward the exact opposite. Note takers, first blank. If you want a Christmas on purpose, remind yourself of what is true. The book of Deuteronomy has no new content in it. If you are not offended by that, allow me to unpack it. God says a bunch of stuff to his people. That's us, if you love Jesus. And we are so moral and so smart and so clever and we take such good notes that God never has to repeat himself. Is that how it went? (laughs) Or he takes your leader up the mountain and says, Moses, I'm going to have to say that all the second time and you're going to have to write it down. This is why you do your Bible reading plan and you get to Deuteronomy and you're like, oh. (laughs) He already said this. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't obey the first time. Now did we? Reminding is commanded repeatedly through Scripture as a central part of Bible teaching. Because you and I are broken, we're fallible, we have limited capacity. Does anybody remember last week's sermon? None of us do. Pull out our notes. And we, hey, 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 you're ruining my illustration. You, you, <laughs> most of us have to pull out notes and go, oh, yeah, yeah, even if we really liked the sermon. Or, or, or your, your Bible study, whatever. A week, a few days go by and you're, it's not in your short-term memory whatsoever. You've got to pull out those notes. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that was really good. I remember that. Reminding is mission critical uh, because um, we forget. And sometimes the enemy of our soul helps us to forget. The first thing uh, the enemy of our soul said to us was, did God really say? And he essentially says the same thing to Jesus in Matthew 4. He didn't introduce new content. He just cast doubt on what was already said. He's got 11 months between Advents and an Advents start to get Christians all wrapped around time with family and cute songs and feel-good movies and this year I really want because I've been good all year. And I'm not even talking about Advent being commanded in Scripture because it's not. It was a culturally chosen emphasis like Lent. But if we're going to choose to spend five weeks focusing our hearts on Jesus, let's do it right. Let's do it right. So I want to let you know about a cool book. We've already purchased a few copies called Hidden Christmas by our brother Tim Keller. If you were here at the church three years ago, you might have already read something of his if you didn't know about him already. Um, he and his wife, Kathy, wrote The Meaning of Marriage, and we went through their book and um, had you guys pick it up off the back table a few falls ago. So we've already ordered a bunch of copies, and I just want to um, give you one week's head notice, because I know not everybody keeps a, a checkbook anymore, to be sure we don't. But if you've got cash or check, we got them on christianbook.com for eight bucks. So I want to encourage you next week, please bring eight bucks. And we're back here on this table, we have a bunch of copies of this precious little, it's not a devotional, it's not broken into 31 days, but it is a very small book that is trying to peel back the cultural layers of what you and I as 21st century Westerners don't understand about Christmas night. Really, really helpful, lovely little book. It's a very quick little read. Um, but I just want to encourage you to bring eight bucks and, and I'll have a little bucket and drop eight bucks in the bucket um, and, and pick that up next week to start off Advent. Guys, your mind is part of what Christ purchased on the cross. Okay? We worship with our, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Filling the mind with good Bible teaching during Advent is a great way to make sure Advent is pointed for. How, how many of you went on a really romantic date with your husband when his mind was somewhere else? Anybody? Yeah. Just warmed your heart. He was thinking about another woman. No? I didn't give you the warm fuzzies? No? Brothers and sisters, the church, our mind needs to be on the bridegroom if we're going to claim that these five weeks or so are about him. So I want to encourage you to be ready to pick up a copy of that book next week. It'll be on the back table. So remind yourself of what is true. Another way of saying preach truth to yourself. Secondly, sing. Sing and do it on purpose. Who here has heard the difference if you were on your favorite Pandora station, or gosh, there are so many ways to get music now, or your favorite radio station. Who's heard the difference between Mix 96 and K-Love during the month of December? 
And I'm, I'm not bagging on Mix 96. I just, just, they've got to do what they've got to do. They've got a crowd that they've got to please. I still get teary-eyed every single year because the secular stations don't act like Jesus doesn't exist at all. Every year, Mix 96 plays Celine Dion's Holy Night. Every year. I can't help but wondering, does, does she know? Does she know what she's singing? Do, do the millions of people across the earth who've heard Celine sing this song, like, do they know? Is this just background noise? This is just what we do this month? Brothers and sisters, music is the language of heaven. And there's this thing called Christmas music. Thanks to Barbara Streisand since 1967, apparently you don't even have to sing about Santa anymore. You can do raindrops on roses and whiskers. on. Somebody needs to email her. That's not a Christmas song. Anyway. No. 1967 is when you got put in her album. Anyway, but yes, Julie, Julie sang it first. Yeah, she twirled around, the helicopter made her fall over. Great movie. So, speaking of warm fuzzies, brothers and sisters, we're gonna sing something. And if you have a terrible voice and you think you don't sing, you're wrong because your brain is singing. Whatever you're listening to, it's playing through your head like a tape recorder. If you're under the age of 25, a tape recorder was this little box that had a thing and you had to spin it and your finger just like... God, this is all a tough crowd. Music plays in your mind. A song gets stuck in your head, doesn't it? Sometimes you like that it got stuck there. Sometimes you're not so happy. If you want a Christmas on purpose, tell yourself what's true. Sing. Third, tell someone about Jesus. In the Jim Carrey Grinch that came out about 20 years ago, they're trying to establish his character early on of how mean he is. And he's going through his itinerary for the day. He says, four o'clock, solve world hunger. 4.30, tell no one. Is that a jerk move? I don't want to be the guy who is bitter about culture changing around me. And I'll even buy a t-shirt or a bumper sticker saying they should put Christ back in Christmas. But I'm not looking for an opportunity whatsoever to tell somebody about my Savior. The Savior who wants to change their heart and change their life and change their destiny. Um... If we're honest, the culture is fighting like hell to keep Christians to not talk about their Savior. The culture is fine with bumper stickers and raging on Twitter. There are places where you're free to go rage and opine. Those just aren't the effective places for evangelism, are they? I mean, I can tell you the time, 15 years ago, the first time I saw the bumper sticker that said, coexist. 
And I immediately let go of my Christian beliefs and decided that all faiths were equal. The minute I saw the the sticker, it changed my heart. (laughs) Did that happen for you? Bumper sticker evangelism, folks. I'm telling you, it works. Satan's fine with you using ineffective methods of evangelism. Why is he threatened by that? He's not. Remind yourself of what is true if you want a Christmas on purpose. Sing what is true and what is beautiful about the goodness of God. Tell somebody about Jesus. Man, if if you don't get an opportunity in the next five weeks or so, if there's never an opportunity that shows, which I kind of doubt if you if you pray for it, if you ask God for it, at least bring them to candlelight service. We're doing that on the 22nd and 24th, just like we did last year. And your friend will hear the gospel, we promise. Fourth, give gifts intentionally. Give gifts intentionally. This is much easier if you've got children in your life. Kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, the neighborhood kids who love you, um, you built a relationship with. Guys, we've got all kinds of opportunity with small children in particular to create ritual, to create rhythms, and to say why we are doing things. When you gather around a meal and you stop and you thank God for the meal, you're using a ritual. Scripture doesn't tell you you have to do that, but you're using a ritual to say God is the provider of all things and he deserves our gratitude and we're gonna recognize him in this moment. Gift giving needs to be one of those things. Gift giving could easily be critiqued as the heart of materialism, but the problem is gift giving is the gospel, so we can't reject it. I don't want us to receive the way the world does gift giving. Carnal, this is what I want. Yay, I'm so happy. This is what will make me happy. That's the way the world does gift giving. We cannot receive that, but we can't reject it either. Why? Because God so loved the world he gave. Did he give warm fuzzies? Did he give us Christmas movies? Did he give us trees? He gave the sun. He gave the sun. And so, as dad, I have the sacred privilege now to teach my children. The reason we give gifts is an echo, a repeat of the ultimate gift that was given 2,000 years ago. This is why we give gifts. If I just gave my child why, did I just undercut materialism? Did I just cut it off at the ankles? Satan is going to tell my children their entire life that stuff is awesome and stuff will make you happy. But every Christmas, dad and mom can cut that off at the knees. Grandma and grandpa can cut that off at the knees. We give gifts because a gift has already been given of far greater value and we're just giving one small image of that. This is the smallest little image. I'm playing the role of God the Father in this little drama played out on on Christmas morning and you're playing the role of the world. Not expecting, not deserving. 
but receiving. And you've got to open what's put in front of you. This is a little, a tiny little church play, if you will, played out in your home every single year. Brothers and sisters, give gifts intentionally. If you want to make Christmas awesome this year, if you want to make it great for their kids and give them a good start, fifth, decorate on purpose. Decorate on purpose. When I went to Lowe's about uh, five weeks ago now, they had an inflatable manger scene and then about 50 or 60 other options for inflatables that they'd put up on the top racks. You guys know what I'm talking about up high. And I'm no math student, but one manger scene and then like 50 or 60 other options. And I'm a capitalist through and through. I know what Lowe's will do. If manger scenes flew off the shelf, they'd provide more of them. They're all about making money. They don't care what religion you are, I promise. (laughs) They do not care. (laughs) They worship the almighty dollar. But there was one. And what does that tell me? It tells me what demand has been the last few Christmases. But I'm a... um, I'm a Christian jerk, so I made sure to buy it right away because I wasn't going to let any of you guys get in there and then I did not have the nativity scene that I wanted. <laughs> Early bird gets a worm. Uh, is a nativity scene not this um, silent and yet not so silent, quiet? Uh, what's the word? It's a type of a testimony. It's a type of a testimony in the middle of so many worthless sermons that is the front yard of most people. The front yard of most people is, oh, that's pretty, oh, that's cute, oh, that's clever. Oh, that's pretty, oh, that's cute, oh, that's clever. And in the midst of the noise, all of a sudden there's Jesus. You know what that feels like to me? It feels like Lucy getting all hot and bothered about whether the shepherds are in the right place and whether she's going to be the Christmas queen. And Charlie is so frustrated and yells out loud, what is Christmas all about? And then Linus (laughs) comes along and reads scripture. (laughs) And he doesn't even need to commentate. says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Do you guys feel that? I felt that every year growing up. An ABC would show Charlie Brown Christmas, and even all the ads, the commercials in between, are reinforcing the materialistic message that Charles Schultz is critiquing. And then all of a sudden, cutting through all the mud, cutting through all the nonsense, God sent his son to save the world. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. That's how I feel when I see an inflatable Grinch, inflatable Star Wars stuff. Guys, I love Star Wars, but it doesn't belong in Christmas. That is just weird. That's so weird. 
reindeer and lights and people's favorite football team logos and whatever else. And then this family that I don't know them because I don't even have anyone driven down this street before, but somebody knows the truth. <sighs> Guys, is it encouraging in Babylon to discover every once in a while, hey, there, there are other folks that know what's true. It's not the purpose of Christmas to, to be reminded that somebody else knows what's true, but it's, it's good on the soul. It's good on the soul. I just want to encourage you, decorating can be done on purpose in a Christ-centered fashion. It's a little bit like Daniel praying in the window three times a day. In a world that says you do you, we can say, sure, I'm gonna do the Christian thing quietly right here where you can see me. That's what a manger scene is. You can see my, my front lawn. Last, be hospitable. Be hospitable. I wanna encourage you to have a Christmas party in your house. If you really don't want to, pick your favorite NFL game look at the schedule and go, okay, I'm going to have people over and I'm going to feed them good meat and good drink and we're going to watch the game. It's December, guys. You've got the first World Cup that's ever happened in December. You've got basketball. You've got football. You've got Christmas party. There's so many good excuses to have people over. So many good excuses. And I, I want to, I think hospitality gets a bad rap so allow me to belabor the point. And I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm trying to grow. We're not a hospitable culture. We're very freaked out at people coming to our door. We think for sure they're going to sell us Amway. Um, inviting people, not just into your home, but into your life, inviting the stranger in, is woven throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, they talk about kindness to the foreigner or to the sojourner. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big part of God's heart because all of us were foreigners. Wild olive branch grafted in. I read Romans recently. Guys, it's such a big deal that in the longest, most explicit text on what allows a man to be a pastor... First Timothy 3, it says that he has to be hospitable. He has to. He has to have a good reputation with people who do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is he respected? Is his marriage respected? Is his parenting respected by people who are outside of the faith? For Paul to put that in First Timothy 3 does not mean, oh, Pastors need to be hospitable. The whole point of the text is, here's what good Christian behavior looks like. For sure, a pastor ought to do that. It doesn't leave the rest of us off the hook. Does that make sense? When they say a pastor ought to know his Bible, that's not the rest of us going, well, I'm not gonna study, pastor's gonna study. Like, no, that's not the point at all. If something shows up in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, that your spiritual leaders should be, absolutely, this should be a part of their life, um, that means it's exemplary for all of us. It's an example for all of us. Is your life, is your home, is your living room, is your kitchen, 
a place where people are invited in, told implicitly that they are loved, that they are accepted, and they might just see the love of God there. They might be convinced of the love of Jesus Christ toward them in that place. I I think our culture is hungry for connection. I think our culture doesn't know what to do when you make a bid for connection. Emily and I, 10 years ago, moved into an apartment and we baked cookies and passed it around to our neighbors because Christians are weird like that, right? We don't wait for the old culture of yesteryear where somebody brings us jello. Who wants jello anyway? That's like leave the neighborhood. Um, (laughs) Give me something good. (laughs) Give me something awesome. We gave cookies. And I'm telling you, at least two of the guys that were our neighbors I, I felt like I watched them struggling with what to do with it. One of them came back with this nice bottle of wine and a card and wanted to give us something. I, you know, part of, part of me, my heart hurt. I was like, oh, we, we don't even know what grace is anymore. We can't just receive. We have to be even, right? But did we know our neighbors? Yeah. Yeah, the ice was broken. The ice was broken. Brothers and sisters, uh, I don't know what to tell you. We are missionaries in whatever culture the Lord puts us and we are in 21st century Northern California. That's where we are. That's where we are. And people are hungry for connection. Christmas puts a spotlight on loneliness. Can I get an amen? Amen. And it's not just something that you feel. It might be your first Christmas without your spouse. It can be your first Christmas without mom. It can be your first Christmas without your brother. How much more pain is your neighbor going through their first Christmas without their dad and they don't know their heavenly father? How much more isolation is there? I'm not saying that to belittle our pain. We suffer differently, brothers and sisters. I'm I'm telling you, I have them poking me with poison and taking me within an inch of death. And I'm like, you know, if this lady measures the soup wrong, at least I see Jesus We suffer differently. Isolation and loneliness are diseases created in Genesis chapter three when we divorced God. And they are diseases that we, the church, we have now been protected from. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. We have the family of faith speaking truth to us and speaking love to us and meeting needs. Doesn't mean loneliness doesn't happen. Doesn't mean suffering doesn't happen. It's just that we've got the body of faith, the body of Christ walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Allow me to share a little bit about the valley of the shadow of death before we're done, because this really is what Christmasing right is all about. Everybody's in the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a matter of whether Christ is with you in it. A pastor's brother passed away unexpectedly and he had to preach the sermon for his own brother. Does the service and he's driving home and his young daughter is sitting beside him and she, listening to Psalm 23, what her dad had said in the sermon, she asked, dad, I don't get it. What's, what's the valley of the shadow of death? And he thinks about it for a second. And as he's thinking, a big rig passes them on one side so that temporarily their car was 
in the shadow of the truck. And then the truck went by and they weren't in the shadow anymore. He says, sweetheart, if you accidentally went out into the street, would you rather get hit by a truck or would you rather get hit by a truck's shadow? He said, Jesus saw that we were in trouble and he ran out in the street and he pushed us at the last minute. And he was hit by the truck of God's wrath against sin so that we, just a few feet away, are only hit by its shadow. And our city needs to know that there is a savior pushing people out of the way. That is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. We have a great savior who's so much better than silly songs and fruitcake. So foundation, I wanna encourage you to Christmas on purpose. Please do not waste this Christmas. Do not waste Advent that we start next week. Starting Sunday, we're gonna be walking through this journey, this thread of scripture where we see that Messiah is not just Messiah, he is also king. He doesn't just save us, he is Lord over us. And we were told that thousands of years before he came. And we are gonna be trying to inspire our own hearts toward worshiping a king. And this is hard to wrap our mind around. We think we get to vote. No, you don't. You come in and you walk down this long hall and you grovel and you're down on your face. And to find out that he's benevolent is an amazing thing because it wasn't presumed upon. We are going to be trying to stir affection for Christ in our hearts over the next six weeks or so. Because there's nothing in the world that's gonna stir your affection for Christ. You know that, right? If you have your church family and Denny's and Home Depot and Target, uh, which of those four is gonna help you love Jesus? Because they're all gonna be decorated for Christmas. Right? Brothers and sisters, you have your church family and you have the things we encourage you toward, like opening the book and singing the songs that are Christocentric. I know you wanted your 50 cent word of the day. There it was, cruciform. Something Christmas that actually looks a little bit like Jesus. So foundation, question for you, are we gonna do it? We can take all of the holly and tinsel that everybody else puts up and we can use that to remind ourselves of what a beautiful thing we're celebrating. We can see Jesus all around if we want to. Allow me to pray for us. Jesus, I confess a distracted mind and a distracted heart. And I don't know how many Christmases I've wasted or half wasted. I just, um, I really want my heart to grow closer to you during this time. 
And I know my siblings in the room feel the same way. Jesus, as a church, we want to be more enthralled with you and amazed by you between now and Christmas. God, whether through it, uh, Pastor Tim's book or through our time in Scripture together in groups uh, or sermons or, or what have you, our personal reading, um, help us to see the beauty, the magnificence, the surprise of you coming to save us and generate worship and gratitude in our hearts, God, because of it. God, we confess we're an entitled people and uh, if we look at the shepherds and the wise men, they just don't come across as entitled. And we wanna be like them, Lord. They were so amazed that God would come for them. Holy Spirit, we ask you to change our hearts because only you can. I ask you to protect our minds from the distraction, God, of 5,000 advertisements we're gonna see between now and Christmas Day. God, those of us that are raising kids or helping raise nieces and nephews and grandkids, I ask you, to help us take our calling seriously in the raising of children during this season. God, please give our children things that we did not have at their age. God, some of us did not know the Christmas story until we were 32 or until we were 55 or 70. And we want so much more for our kids. God, help us to love the lost even half as much as you do. God, I pray for those of us in the room that don't believe your gospel yet, that something in this encouragement um, made clear Jesus, who you are and what you're doing in your world. That this was helpful to somebody exploring faith. Holy Spirit, fill foundation and move us to be something beautiful and peculiar these next six weeks or so. Make us a city on a hill. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.